I am so thrilled that you are with us tonight, and and I just want you to know that that you are welcome to be here, and whether you're a young adult or not, I'm so glad to see so many of you that are not young adults out here tonight. And just in case maybe you haven't been with us for the last couple of weeks, maybe you don't know what we're going through, we're going through a series right now that we're calling Digital Exile. And in this series so far, we've covered a couple of really important topics that I want you to know about so that you can kind of track with us tonight. The first thing is this, the digital world that we exist in right now, we need to know something about it. And it's this, when it comes to media, social media, tech media, things that you take in, all that media you can all you all the media you consume, you need to know tonight that you are not the customer. When it comes to media, you and I are the product. We our attention is being sold to the highest bidder. And when we begin to understand that, we, we start to see that, that social media is not really for us. It's for big companies who want to sell us things. The second thing that's really important for us right now is that we've been self-isolating for a lot longer than COVID-19. I know right now it seems heavy because there's no other choice we have but to stay home but if we're being totally and perfectly honest, if we look within, we can probably say that we've actually been shutting out the real world for a long time. We've chosen a digital uh, form of existence for far too long. And at the heart of this series is this reality that in order for us to thrive in a digital world, because unfortunately the digital world, or, or fortunately, I guess depends how you look at it, this digital world that we live in, it's not going anywhere. It's not changing anytime soon. So if we want to live... Uh, if we want to live and thrive in this day and age, we have to become disciples of Jesus that are resiliently faithful in the face of cultural coercion. We need to be men and women who live vibrantly in the spirit of our God. And if we get those two things right, we can begin to escape this digital exile that we live in and begin to live a life that's worthwhile. Begin to live a life that's actually worth living. And maybe you're here tonight, and, and maybe you're not, you wouldn't consider yourself a person of faith. Maybe you're here tonight, you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, you wouldn't even call yourself maybe a follower of God. Maybe you've got big questions. But maybe you're here tonight, and you've got, you know, you got that sense that there's something missing. Maybe you, you came tonight, and you've been following God for a long time. But you know what? You've been following God so long now that you actually have more questions than you think you have an a answers for. And so you might be wondering tonight as we gather, are we, am I able to ask big questions of God? Am I able to ask big faith questions? Well, I believe a few things that are completely accurate of God no matter what. And I want to unpack some of them with you tonight. The first thing that I want to look at is this, that God created humanity to be curious. So when we ask that question, is it okay for me to ask questions? Let's just put this over top of everything else. God put in you and in me something called curiosity. Now, I have something in my life that is known as a toddler. Does anyone else here have a toddler right now? Amen. Bless you. Bless your heart. The Lord be with you and keep you and shine his face upon you. Because having a toddler is very difficult. Because, listen, oh, there's one right there in the car. I think I see. Hey, man, can you see me? Hey, buddy. Yeah, hey, look, I'm waving at you. There he is, right on. Having a toddler is very difficult because, listen, there's something that's very true of toddlers. They are curious. They want to know 
about the world around them. My little girl, her name's Emerson. She is so curious. She has the spirit of curiosity that just pours out of her all of the time. And I believe that God embedded that same level of curiosity in each one of us. And if you look at your life and you feel like you're not curious at all, it's not because it's not supposed to be there. It's because the world has crushed it out of you. Children want answers. They want to know why and how things are the way they are. They want to know how far they can push the boundaries. Amen? <laughs> My wife and I were talking about that this morning. But I want to point out something that's really interesting about Scripture for you tonight. In Scripture, every single time that Jesus talks about children, it's a positive thing. It's a positive thing every time that Jesus talks about children. Throughout the Gospels, throughout the stories of Jesus in Scripture, we have over and over again Jesus speaking positively about kids. Example, Jesus in Luke 18, 17 says this, I tell you the truth, anyone who doesn't receive the kingdom of God like a child will never enter it. In contrast, almost everywhere else in the New Testament when children are discussed, it's a negative thing. Did you know that? Almost everywhere else, elsewhere, outside of Jesus, discuss children in a negative light. Example, Paul in 1 Corinthians 13, 11, When I was a child... I spoke and thought and reasoned as a child, but when I grew up, I put away childish things. So I guess the question then is, which one's right? Well, I'm going to do this really terrible preacher thing where I'm going to actually say both of them are right, and that's going to make some of you very angry because it's hard to know. But listen, I think that both are right because Jesus is saying this. Jesus is saying that just like children are curious and they trust in their parents, so should you and I be curious about our faith, but we must also be trusting of our Heavenly Father. Paul, on the other hand, is saying this. Paul is saying that we must grow up and leave behind childish things. He's saying that it's time to become men and women who are called to the, the, the gospel truth and the hope that we have in Jesus, and we're supposed to do something about it. But this is the difference. The difference is in behavior and attitude toward our Heavenly Father. Because if you have kids, or if you're going to have kids, I want you to know something. Children can be so curious, and it's so enduring, isn't it? It's amazing to watch my little girls explore and, and take in the world. To have that, that wonder as they, they experiment with new things, and they discover new things, and they get messy and dirty. And it's a wonderful thing to watch. But children can also be disobedient, and they can be difficult, And that's the difference that we must understand. We must make that distinction in ourselves because fundamentally, I believe that childlike curiosity will be rewarded if we trust in Jesus. And we're going to unpack this a little bit more because Jesus is a very good spot to go and spend time with next. I don't know if you know this or not, but the word Christian, when it was originally started to be used in the Roman Empire, was actually used as a slight towards people who followed Christ. It literally meant little Christ, little Christians, little Christ figures. It was this derogatory term. But I love that. I love that what was meant to be derogatory is actually the exact thing that we are striving to become. And every time I use the word Christian, I try to remember that. Because to be a Christian is to be like Jesus. But listen, I want, I want, to, I want to maybe do away with a little myth right now. Because, you know, to be a Christian is not to be just similar to Jesus. 
It's to actually exude him with everything that we do. It's to come out from within us. It's this difference. It's the difference between reflecting him and radiating him from within us because a reflection can be a cheap imitation of the thing that it's reflecting. But when you begin to exude and radiate Christ in your life, things change and amazing things happen. So if what we're aiming for is to actually be more than just reflecting Christ, but actually radiating him, it should stand to reason that we should be like him and we should practice the same things that he does and did, right? Well, this leads me to my second point tonight is that even Jesus asked questions. So when we gather tonight and we begin to unpack what it means to, you know, is it okay for us to ask questions, we need to look that even Jesus himself asked questions. Most, notab- most notably, Jesus asked the question, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In other words, God, where are you? Jesus, on the road to the cross, was so broken and exhausted that he cried out to his heavenly Father. He knew what was to come would be far worse than what he had already endured. But Jesus cried out in that moment, God, where are you? But it's important to note here that Jesus has this desire to know Christ better. Or to know God better, sorry. Jesus has this desire to know God better. He wants to understand his will more completely. And it's important to note that Jesus wasn't questioning God here. Sometimes we read it that way because we read it through our human eyes. But he was asking God a question. And that's a difference that we will do well to understand tonight. That we can ask God questions without questioning God. And let me just say this. If Jesus cried out to God with a question, so can you and I. Many times, like in Mark 1.35, we read that Jesus went away from what he was doing to be in prayer and to spend time with his heavenly Father. And throughout his ministry, the Gospels, the stories of Jesus, record Jesus going away 25 times to pray. You might ask yourself, why, why, why did Jesus pray? I mean, he was, he was God. Well, I think it stands to reason that, that Jesus was asking God for clarity. Jesus was asking his heavenly Father for direction and guidance and what was going on. And I think that's so, so crucial for us to understand when we begin to ask questions of our God. But I want to I parse out something a little bit more tonight, and it's this. It's the questions that Jesus asked other people around him that should really give us an insight into how we are supposed to look at life. Because throughout the Gospels, Jesus asked people a lot of questions. Jesus was passionate about getting to the heart of the people around him. In fact, the Gospels record 307 questions that Jesus asked people around him. But catch this, Jesus didn't ask questions for information. He asked questions to provoke transformation. Did you catch that? Jesus didn't ask questions to get information. He asked questions to provoke transformation. And this is so important because where we ask for answers, Jesus asks for awareness. And when that becomes our heart, then we become more like our Savior And I believe that that is exactly the place that we're supposed to find ourselves in. So this leads me into my third point, is this. 
Maybe you're wondering, is my faith big enough? Is, is God big enough for the questions I have? Because Luke, these are big questions. These aren't like little things like, does the Sabbath happen on Saturday or Sunday? I'm so confused. It's deeper. It's something more. I have questions. Let me say this. God is big enough for all of your questions and even your doubts. He is big enough for even your doubts. I would be lying if I told you tonight as I stand on the stage that I haven't doubted in my life. I'm a pastor. I've, I've been through Bible school. I've had the opportunity of graduate level courses. I've learned things about theology that, that I never thought I'd have the chance to. And I'll be honest with you, the more that I learn, the more questions I have. And sometimes when life gets difficult, I actually have doubts. But I want to point out that having questions for God is actually biblical. It's in the scriptures. You know, so far we've talked about how God has made us curious. And we've seen that Jesus asked questions. But I want you to check this out. In the Gospels alone, there are 94 questions asked of Jesus. And on the website, if you go to elamya.com and click on the drive-in uh, tab, you'll see at the bottom there's actually some notes for this sermon, and I link there the 94 questions, ranging from faithful and helpful and supportive all the way to hostile and argumentative um, and damning questions. The whole list is there. But what I want to point out tonight is that Jesus answered every single one of them. Jesus didn't shy away from even the most harsh and hurtful questions. He didn't shy away from the simple questions that were so obvious to us as we read it now and you'd think would be obvious to them, but he answers them. And so I believe, and I want you to know this tonight, that part of being a true disciple of Jesus is asking questions. You see, you can't have a relationship with someone if you never ask questions of them. That would be foolish. If my wife and I existed in a relationship where we never, ever asked questions of each other, what kind of marriage would that be? What kind of relationship would that be with your best friend if you only waited for them to lob out their status report to you? But it's through that love that you actually see that you, you ask questions, you get to the heart of the matter. And this whole series is about becoming resilient disciples because that's what I want for you. That's what I want for me. I don't want us to settle for the best version of ourselves that we can muster up. I want us to live lives that God has ordained for each one of us. To live lives that are worthy of the calling of God. To live lives that take you beyond where you are so that you can be more like the one who hung on a cross. And part of being a resilient disciple is asking questions. Let me say it this way, kind of the flip side of this whole thing I'm talking about. When we begin to give up asking big questions of Jesus, when we begin to give up asking big questions of faith and the church and life, we settle, whether we choose to or not, we settle for the worldview that society holds. And let me just say tonight that it's a shallow worldview the worldview of the society around us, it might feel good and it might look good, but let me tell you something. It proclaims love and acceptance, but it brutalizes people who disagree. Have you noticed that? In a world that preaches love and acceptance, why is it that when we say we're a Christian, we automatically get put in a category 
And I'll be honest, sometimes those categories are created by Christians. But when we choose to stop asking questions, we settle for a worldview that is not our own and one that we never agreed to. Asking the big questions of life and challenging the status quo actually allows us to engage the world as it is and not how we wish it to be. We all have a way of looking at the world through rose-colored lenses. And so when we begin to ask questions, we begin to see the world as it is. And it reveals to us the things that need to change, both in the world around us and, most importantly, the things in our heart. And if you look at the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you'll see over and over again that the disciples ask many questions of Jesus. And let's be honest for a second. Let's just be totally real. If the very men who followed Jesus every single day, the man himself, who followed him and walked with him every day for years, if they had questions of Jesus, how much more are we going to have questions? We're 2,000 years removed from the guy. We're 2,000 years removed from the miracle. So if you're sitting there tonight and you go, I, I got no questions about faith. I got nothing. I mean, I'm cool with it all, man. That's not cool. We should have questions. Because if you love something, if you're passionate about something, it should drive you to learn more about it. It should drive you to care more about it. And to dig in. And we find in the New Testament, towards the end, we pick up in the book of James. And if you don't know this, James was actually the brother of Jesus. And James writes this letter to the church. And he says this in it, in James 1, verse 5, If you need wisdom, ask your generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. How encouraging is that? Jesus' own brother tells us, Listen, you can ask questions of this Jesus guy. You can ask questions of our Heavenly Father because he will not rebuke you. He will accept your questions. That's good news. Jesus didn't scold people for asking questions. Our Heavenly Father doesn't scold us for asking questions. In fact, Jesus answers the questions every time. So if you find yourself in a place tonight, if you find yourself in a place right now in this COVID season that's so weird and difficult and isolating, but, but strange and kind of cool because you can do things that you never got to do before, but it also gives you all this time to like think about yourself and think about your life and evaluate things and it makes you feel like you're going a little bit crazy. In this season of life, if you find yourself asking questions, I want to encourage you to keep asking. Keep pressing in. Keep asking those questions. Keep looking into those doubts that you have. But, and this is very important, but asking questions cannot be the only thing we do. If all we do is create a, a spirit of questioning everything, we also settle for a worldview and a life that's just not worth living. And James has something to say about it in the very next two verses. He says this, or sorry, in the very next verse. He says in verse 5, If you need wisdom, ask your generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. But he goes on, he says this, But when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver, for a person with divided loyalty is as unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. Some people interpret this to mean that you can ask God your questions, but once you ask them, just keep on believing and don't really worry about the answer. I, I, I just think that's categorically wrong in every single way. 
But I think we can sum it up like this. Check your heart before you begin asking questions. Check your heart before you ask that question of God. At the beginning of our time together, I, I talked a little bit about how my kids are at an age where they're seeking the, the question, why? I mean, my, my oldest daughter went through the stage for like a year where it was why for everything. And you just get so tired of answering why because it's never, they never actually want to know. It's just why. But what I think is really amazing is that my kids and kids in general, they're looking for their parents to set boundaries. Because listen, once you understand where your boundaries are, you actually have an incredible amount of freedom. Did you know that? I can prove it to you. Do you want to know how I can prove it to you? Cows. Listen, I'm going to come over here for a minute because I need you to know. Do you know something about cows? Who here? We live in Saskatchewan. You don't know anything about cows? Let me explain something about cows really quickly. Cows have this terrible tendency to stand right at the very edge of their fence and stick their head all the way through on an angle, and what do they try to do? They try to get that one blade of grass that's just past the tip of their tongue, don't they? That's exactly what they do. And I don't want, I don't, I don't mean this, like, I don't mean this in, like, a physical sense, but you and I are a lot like cows. Let me explain. We spend so much of our time standing right at the very edge of what we know to be true, trying to grasp something that's so far away when we don't even recognize the huge field that we have behind us of freedom. I mean, there has been so many times that I've been walking past a field of cows and I just want to yell at them, just turn around. Look at all the grass. You, you have acres of grass that you can eat and not have to stick your head sideways through a fence. But as I think that, I become convicted because I know that in my own life, I am that cow. I stand right on the edge of everything that I know. And I just long for what's just outside of my reach. Forgetting of all the freedom that Christ has made for me to live a life that is amazing. And I think it just puts into perspective the reality that we already have so many answers to questions. But sometimes we go through seasons where that's not enough. And instead of having faith and standing secure in those things, like James is saying, we're tossed violently like a wave in the ocean. He says in verse 6, but when you ask him, be sure that your faith is in God alone. Do not waver for a person with divided loyalty is unsettled as a wave of the sea that is blown and tossed by the wind. What happens is this. We have legitimate questions. We do. I do. I have had times in my life. I'm going through a season right now where I have legitimate questions of what God is doing. But what happens is we begin to question those things and instead of standing secure in God with the things that we do know, we put everything onto the chopping block alongside our genuine and our authentic questions and we put it all out there. It's like a house of cards. We have one burning question and when we pull it out, the whole thing topples down. And let me just reiterate, but as disciples of Jesus, we have been given so much space to live out life in abundance and with joy, yet we spend our days on the very edge of what we know and dream of life beyond the fence. 
I believe that there's a part of us that's aching for adventure and curiosity because that's the way that God made us. I believe that God delights in our childlike curiosity. However, we have to check our heart when we start questioning God. Because just like Jesus, we should be seeking transformation, not just information. There's a reason why you and I all know people that have started out loving something and pursuing something and ended up not liking that thing anymore. Maybe it's the faith. Maybe it's something completely tangential and not even related at all. It's because what happens and what starts as a passion simply becomes an obsession for more information. But let me be clear, and I hope you're picking up on this tonight. We should absolutely seek to think critically. We should evaluate propaganda for good and for bad. We should press into theology and learn more about it. We should question why, what, where, how, and who. But don't miss out tonight on the life-giving relationship that comes with knowing Jesus and accepting that we may not understand everything. Before we move to close, I want to just outline something quickly to you. In this series that we're going through, we've been using the most recent study by Barna on young adults. And even if you're not a young adult, there's stuff in here for you. So just hang with me. Uh, It's called, uh, in the connected generation is what Barna is calling 18 to 35-year-olds right now. The connected generation. They looked at what separates resilient disciples from the rest of the population. And it's an amazing study, but one of the things that I really wanted to hone in on tonight was this, was that one of the factors that contributed to being a resilient disciple, somebody that passionately seeks Jesus, somebody that lives a fruitful life of the Spirit, a vibrant life in the Spirit, is this. They spend nearly half of the time consuming media that their non-resilient counterparts did. Nearly half of the time on media. Still a huge amount of media, don't get me wrong. Us young people, we are sucked in, myself included. But still nearly half of what other young adults did. These are young people, these resilient people. Let me just out, like, lay out some of the stuff that this study showed. These are young people that feel secure in their faith. They have lower anxiety. They report a significantly higher sense of purpose. They struggle less with mental health issues. They have an easier time making and keeping friends. They say that a relationship with Jesus is a lifeline for them and that it brings them joy and contentment. All things that I think that you and I could agree are essential and that are important and things that are just awesome. I want all of those things. But what's amazing is that it's not just spending less time on media. It's this. These young adults not only spend nearly half the amount of time on media that their counterparts do, of the media they do consume, they digest nearly double the hours of Christian content annually. That's amazing. And, and maybe stats aren't your thing, and maybe this is you're not a, as much of a nerd as I am, but I think that this really points to something important because this was a study that was done of tens of thousands of young people all over the world. It wasn't just Canada. It wasn't just the United States, but it was global. And we can look at the statistics of just Canada in this study, and we can see that it holds even more true here than it does elsewhere in the world. Resilient young disciples are spending much less time taking in media, but what we do take in is nearly double what others digest. And catch this, and it's all about seeking answers to big questions. That's amazing. And so it's this, asking questions is important, but only if it drives you to find an answer. 
Only if it causes something in you to go, I am not okay with where I'm at. I want to be further along. I want to be somewhere else. I don't want to just be here forever. So I guess the question is, is how do we ask God questions? I've got four quick points that I borrowed from a lady named Bailey Jo Welch that I believe will help orient our hearts in the right direction. The first is this, ask questions to know God better. If at the heart of what you're asking is you want to know God better, God will show up in powerful ways. Don't be that person that asks questions when you already think you know the answer. Nobody likes that person. Nobody. Two, ask questions to serve other people better. Finding answers to questions that will help you serve the people around you will open your heart and mind up to answers and to perspectives that you would have never considered. It'll also help you get away from just trying to prove yourself right. If you have a mindset of wanting to know God better and wanting to serve the people around you, you will find amazing answers to your questions. The third thing is this. Ask questions to challenge oppressive theology and doctrine. I just thought this was important to add in here because, listen, if you perceive something to be oppressive, hurtful, damaging, or counter to what you read in, in Scripture, question it. Absolutely question it. Not in an arrogant, I know better than, than this person or this group of people, but seek understanding. And don't stake your beliefs on a theology or a doctrine that is antithetical to what you see in Scripture. If you begin to see things in the church, maybe a different church that you're part of, maybe you're part of Elam, and you start to wonder and question about certain things, ask those questions. It's important that we dig into those things because that is not the God we serve. It's not an oppressive, hateful, hurtful, dogmatic God that just wants to crush people. In fact, he's a God who sent his son Jesus onto the cross so that you and I could have unfettered access to him at any point when we choose to accept that way. Finally, the last thing, and this is my favorite, ask questions to bask in the wonder of the Lord. I think it's just important to note that we shouldn't be trying to understand completely and fully something that is so completely beyond our human understanding. And that's not an excuse to not press in. That's not an excuse to not get into Scripture and and ask big questions. But let me just say this. If we could fully comprehend and fully understand the God in heaven, he wouldn't be the God in heaven. He wouldn't be worthy of our worship. Because he is transcendent. He is above us. He is outside of our timeline. And those things are big, difficult questions to to, to wrap our minds around. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. And I want to close with this scripture. If we want to know God better and we're honest in our pursuit, uh, scripture says something so beautiful for you and I tonight. And it's this. It's found in Matthew 7. Keep on asking. And you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. Everyone who seeks finds. And to everyone who knocks, the door will be opened. If we seek our Heavenly Father and we care to know Him better, if we seek our Heavenly Father to serve others better, if, we, if our pursuit in our heart is to know who Jesus Christ is so that we can radiate Him in our lives, Scripture promises us that he will reveal himself to us. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promise of Scripture. Thank you for that promise that you will reveal yourself to us and to those who seek you and ask big questions, God. 
I pray tonight for each person gathered here, God, that if there's questions stirring within them, that you would push them to just, that your Holy Spirit would, would nudge them in the right direction to just dive deep and to, to find answers to those questions. That you would give them peace tonight, God, that questions about you and questions about faith are not a bad thing. In fact, they're essential for us to become true disciples of your son, Jesus. God, for each one gathered here tonight, who each one represents a different family and a different host of, of troubles tonight, God, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be ministering to them, that you would be moving powerfully in them and through them, God, and in this time that they would be finding those answers and that they would find that comfort and that peace that passes understanding that your scripture promises us. God, I thank you for this opportunity we have to worship, and I pray a rich blessing over each person gathered, that they would feel your face shine upon them, that they would feel your presence in their lives. I thank you for them. I thank you for this time. We worship you. We glorify you. We adore you, Father. In the name of your precious Son, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you all for joining me. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. Getting out of here is going to be a problem. So... Just be patient. We're going to put on some music. Just relax. Talk to the person beside you. We're going to start over there, and we're going to start getting people out of that ramp, and we're going to work our way across. So, um, you know, if, if you've got a truck over here and you're really itching to go, you can just drive over the curb. Uh, if you're in a car, please don't, because I don't want to have to pick up your bumper. But, uh, hey, God bless you all. Thank you so much for coming tonight. It was so much fun. We look forward to seeing you next week. Good night, everybody.